In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. There is something holy about the break of dawn. Like most folk, my life has moved in ebbs and flows, and one of my most favorite seasons of life afforded me the opportunity to watch the slow overwhelm that the day has on the night as it fades away. Dawn tends to happen sort of all at once. It's a slow lightning from pitch black to deep navy, and then the subtlest line of orange-brown shortly before the sun hits the horizon. Once Earth begins its journey of the day, it actually happens quite quickly. If you pay attention, you can notice the gradual changes of the colors of the lighting of this world that we inhabit. But if you look away, it will happen seemingly instantly. The break of dawn is one of those times where in which we get the opportunity to witness and to experience the thinness between this world and the next. It's a chance to be mindful of all the ways we can acknowledge the lack of our own power in this world, because we do nothing to make the night turn to day. We can only witness it and accept it as the gift and challenge that it is. And yet, even though I am so keenly aware that the world does not depend on our work to function or for the sun to rise, it does not take long for me to become overwhelmed with all the work that there is to do in this world. Because when I look around us, it, I don't have to look far to experience and observe the painful realities of this world. And if I'm not careful, the overwhelming nature of violence and hatred in this world can become less about those who are oppressed than it is about myself. I can get caught up in the ways in which I am engaged with or distance myself from the painful realities of this world. This truth came to mind this week as I prayed through our passage from Isaiah where we hear the Israelites question God, why do we fast but you do not see? Why do we humble ourselves but you do not notice? The people have returned from Babylonian exile and have begun to rebuild their lives. They have suffered, that is for sure. But in their rebuilding, they have enslaved others and they have let their stability balance upon the necks of those that they oppress. They practice religious piety by fasting and with humility. But God rebuffs their complaints in the verses following. God lays out the truths that so many of us are waking up to that our liberations are bound up in each other's and that God cares deeply for the liberation of all. We cannot claim God's freedom while others are enslaved. And so God lays out for the Hebrew people that their fasts are meaningless if they do it while they oppress their workers or ignore the pains of those around them. 
Honestly, it's a harsh and powerful rebuke from God to God's people. But when we read through it and pray through it, we realize that it also offers a way forward. Not just for the Israelites, but for us as well. The path that the Lord lays out for the people shows what a true and righteous fast would be. God says that it would be to loose the bonds of injustice, to let the oppressed go free, to share our bread with the hungry, to invite the homeless poor into our homes, and to cover the protection of the naked and vulnerable. This, the Lord says, is the fast that God chooses. Beloveds, I am increasingly convinced that a scarcity mindset is one of the greatest communal and individual sins of the modern-day world. It tells us that if they have, we do not. That if we give, we'll run out. And what this passage from Isaiah shows is that it's not really a modern-day world problem. It's a human problem. Being a person is hard. And honestly, it's hard for me to imagine a world in which I am willing to fast and to give and to offer as much as the Lord tells the people that they ought to do. It's especially tricky when I imagine the gigantic levels of oppression in this world or when I take on the levels of fear and pain happening all around globally for sure, but in our community as well. And I do all that from my warm and safe home, well-fed and loved. And this is where I get caught up in sentiments like, but I did so-and-so right, or there's no realistic way to do all that. And the uncomfortable truth around that, though, is that these are false sentiments. They aren't false because they don't hold some truth. I can't do all those things. You can't do all of those things. That's for sure. These sentiments aren't true because they do not hold the fullness of God and how God works in the world. When I become so overwhelmed with all that there is to do in this world, when the pain and oppression that fills it begins to take over and I become frozen, I forget that I do not make the sun rise. I forget that we do not make the night turn to day. It's a moment when I forget all that all good things come from God. It's a moment when I forget that my life is not supposed to be the solution or salvation for all. When I become so overwhelmed with the challenges of this world, this exchange between God and God's people reminds me that my only job is to participate in God's work in the world. My job is to help bring about the kingdom of heaven. 
And this is not being preached from a place of I've figured it out. It is truly a work in process, maybe even the beginning of the process. But I don't need to release all the bonds of injustice. But I sure ought to be releasing the bonds of injustice around me. I am not required or even invited by God to save this world only to lean into the work God is already doing in it. And this, this task of leaning into the work that God is doing in this world requires something of us. It requires that we see and hear and interact with folk who are different than us. This task asks us to see the world beyond what we might get right or wrong. It asks us to orient ourselves not just to God, but also because they are created in the very image of God, that we orient ourselves to others as well. It requires that we pay attention, that we make no peace with oppression, it requires that we let our dis-ease at the painful weight of this world not become numb and that we stay present to it. And this is no small task. But I have faith that this sort of healing is possible. As we lead up toward Lent, I'm sure you, like me, are considering what your Lenten fast might be. And maybe you have an old standard that you always do, and you find uh, life in that. Or maybe you've already decided. But whether that's the case, or if you're still discerning like me, I ask that you join me in holding this passage from Isaiah in your prayerful discernment. We're going to hear it again on Ash Wednesday, so it's coming back around. In these next few weeks, as we consider our own fast, I ask that we ought first to consider the fast that God, God's self, chose. And perhaps in that fast, there is an invitation to lean in, to pay attention, to gather up the parts of us that fear that there is not enough, or that the oppression of this world is far too great. And in this discernment, I also ask that you hold what God said after this litany of tasks in the exchange of the Hebrew people. Because after all of these huge, big tasks of undoing the bonds of injustice and freeing the oppressed, God says, Light shall break forth like the dawn, and our healing shall spring up quickly. When we consider the work to be done and the fast to make, we must also remember, we must also consider the fullness of God's work in the world and how we are just joining in it. Because in faith and in confidence, we know that the dawn will break and healing will come. Amen.